Parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. You know what my favorite text is? A waypoint in the Onyx Hunt app to a goblin turkey. The list on the Onyx Hunt app features for chasing turkeys is long, but knowing exact public and private boundaries and land ownership details will help you find more places to hunt, whether that's on public or private. I'll be toting the Hunt app through the spring woods in a few states this year, and I recommend you do the same if you want more turkeys on your table. Also, Onyx has a special offer for you. Use code BEARGREASE to receive 20% off your membership at onyxmaps.com slash hunt this spring. Maui Nui is on a mission to help balance axis deer populations for the good of our environment, communities, and food systems on the island of Maui. They've shared over 126,000 pounds of nutrient-dense protein with the Maui community. Secure your spot now. Become a snack subscriber and join in helping to build more resilient food and ecosystems on Maui. Visit MauiNuiVenison.com. That's M-A-U-I-N-U-I-Venison.com. And use promo code BEAR for 20% off your first order. My name is Clay Newcomb, and this is a production of the Bear Grease podcast called the Bear Grease Render, where we render down, dive deeper, and look behind the scenes of the actual Bear Grease podcast. Presented by FHF Gear, American-made, purpose-built hunting and fishing gear that's designed to be as rugged as the places we explore. Gary, is that Sasquatch on your head? It is. Where'd you get that hat? I'm not telling, man. It's my, own, it's my people. I got it from my people. Bigfoot Big gave a, it to him. That's a nice Sasquatch hat. <laughs> Welcome to the Bear Grease Render. Man, have we ever, have we ever got a show for you today? <laughs> I've got, uh, I'll do introductions as I usually do. Mr. Brent Reeves, how are you doing? I'm doing good. Good to see you. <laughs> as my grandfather would say. I'm gooder in snuff, and I ain't near as dusty. <laughs> <laughs> to your left, Misty Newcomb is back. Hey there. Welcome back, Miss Newcomb. Good I to knew be she here. looked familiar. Good to be yeah. here. I, know, I have no clever statements. I made a, I made like a statement last time that I would like to recant. Yeah. Hmm. I said, oh. uh, Definitely I would like should. to rephrase. Mm-hmm. I said, you were supposed to be at the last Bear Grease render. But and she I, was, quote, easily. Thank you. That was a, that was a misstep on my part. Definitely. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But it's, it's great to have you back. Thank you. Thank you for making the time to come to the render to your left. Josh Landbridge, filmmaker. My it's goodness. quite a moniker I've, I've, I've acquired here, man. Hey, that's one of them. You're just killing it on being the, 
the dumb guy at the front of the barrier <laughs> render that doesn't know what we're talking about. Pretty much, if uh, I no. need someone that I <laughs> to know, not know anything, I, what I'm doing when I when I pick these interviews is I'm trying to pick like a representative person for like the masses. So I'm taking an average of all the smartest people I know. And then the not and that's as somewhere smart. around the Josh Stillmaker range about the land bridge. <laughs> Imagine two continents. You oh, see? I see what you, you see? did there. Wow. And then, but then Josh, he also he he so he doesn't know what we're going to talk about, but he brings in some charm and some humor mm. all, every both times. Did he not? He Thank did. you, Josh. Wow. Thank you. Wow. Yeah. So that was great. What was sad though was I recorded a couple. <laughs> Is that he's not going to get any smart? <laughs> I, I, I recorded a couple other of those just kind of impromptu, you know, I'm just like walking up to people like at my kid's school that right. I know. And, and, and so I don't have to explain to them why I'm doing this. I'm just like putting a microphone in their face. <laughs> and so I did this twice and one of the ladies just knocked it out of the park. Oh, really? I, I was like, do you know what the Cumberland Gap is? And she was like, oh yes, this, of is, course the, this is where Daniel Boone came through. Key, key to the Western United States and the expansion. I was like, wow, cool. Do you know about when white Europeans went through the gap? And she was like, hmm, Jamestown was founded in the 1660s. I'm going to say 1670s. And I was like, holy smokes, the first documented white man went through the Cumberland Gap in 1674. And then you got my son on there, and he's like, oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, so... Anyway, Josh is uh, Josh is that guy. No. David Spillmaker and I are in a class all our own. Yeah, uh, solidly <laughs> and the same class. What happened to her interview? Oh yeah. Okay, listen, I I'm highly technical <laughs> with IT gear, computers, all these sort of things. Dozers. Not true. <laughs> Not true. That was a misstatement. I had my 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 earbuds in in the truck because my truck the the radio went out. Okay, mm. so I was listening to earbuds in the truck. They're on Bluetooth. I see this person I want to interview in her car. I jump out of the truck, knock on the window, do this great interview where she just knocks it out of the park. You know, her history professor from high school was probably crying. Mm. Oh yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and then I'm and I'm I tell her I'm like, man, that was the best one of these I've ever done. You did great. I get back in the car and basically listen to the recording because I did it on my phone, which I rarely do, but I did. And it was picking up my Bluetooth of my boys in my truck. <laughs> like, being idiots. Yes. Totally. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I had, to, I had to call this lady and be like, remember that home run interview, did, interview you did? Sorry, it, it didn't count for anything. <laughs> so that's when I had to go find Josh. To Josh's left, <laughs> Daniel Roop. Dan Roop. Hey. Good to see you, man. Professor Dr. Daniel Roop. Give me all the respect possible. <laughs> Dan has a spot on the on the real Bear Grease podcast coming up here in oh, a couple really? episodes. Another we can't one. talk about. Just another as, Dan on the podcast. As Again, long as you get some fresh meat on this thing. <laughs> <laughs> and then to Dan's left, coming the, back in hot the from patriarch. wherever he's been, Gary Newcomb. He is Gary. Gary. Where, where you been, man? Well, you know what? I wanted to give you guys a shot at it on your own. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it, it, you came up short. <laughs> <laughs> came up short. Again. So you needed to bring back yeah. in kind of the a little bit of... Little little daddy just, attitude. Keep you guys in line. There you go. <laughs> well, it's great to have you. I'll tell you, I invited my mother to be on this render. Oh, really? And she turned down. 
so Juju, we, my mother's name is Judy. We call her Juju. She's been on the Bear Grease podcast, so she's qualified to be here. The other day, she comes up to me and she says, Clay, and she kind of looks at me with those mom eyes, and she said, now I'm going to tell you something, and you know, you're a grown man. You don't have to do it, but when people give you feedback on your podcast, <laughs> you need to treat them nice. <laughs> <laughs> and Juju, Juju was easily replaced. Yeah. <laughs> wow. She said, she said, I was listening. I was listening to that render when you said that those boys told you that y- y'all didn't need to talk over each other. And then you said, you all laughed and you said, keep talking over each other anyway. She was like, Clay. You need to pay attention. So, <laughs> did she say anything about the treatment of Alex? That's where I thought that no. was going. <laughs> no, I ta- I did speak to Alex this week. Though. Yeah. Oh, yeah, good. I saw that. Yeah. Good. Yeah. I, I, it was a gamble to me whether he was going to be upset with me or we were going to be like best friends. Turns and? out he just came in and was like, you know, just we just had a normal little chat, and I just yeah. said, hey, thanks for being the the whistleblower. Man, and, Alex uh, is just really cool. Yep. Hashtag Man. I stand with, with yeah, Alex. Me too. Stand with mm. Alex. Mm. Okay. Mm. Speaking of this, Alex, <laughs> I had a guy. <laughs> I went, I forgot about this just happened. So it's not in my in my uh, render notes here. I okay, I haven't listened to the Meat Eater Campfire stories yet. <laughs> I started it. Because because I'm saving it for an eighteen hour road trip that I'm going on by myself. Very soon. Okay. Gotcha. So that's it's not like lack of interest why I haven't listened to the Meat Eater Campfire Stories, an audible book, New York Times bestselling. That, okay. So that's what the scandal was about last time, if you remember. Oh, That yes. I recounted a story. How can we forget? That I, someone had told me, and then I recounted it, mm-hmm. and then people were like, oh, man, it was way off. <laughs> well, I have a guy write me today and say, Clay... I heard your version of the story and the version of the campfire meteor story, and it it wasn't that much different. <laughs> and uh, so I'm like, maybe we've been blowing the whistle that didn't need to be blown. I guess we'll find out because I'm about <laughs> I'm I'm a couple hours into the Christy and I had to go to Tulsa this weekend, and we turned it on and listened to it. Man, it's really good. This guy sent it's you a got message. some amazing stories in there. He sent you a message. His name, I guess, was Bray. Crookum, was it? They <laughs> sent you the message that uh, <laughs> you were spot on. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, I, as a matter of fact, I think I'm going to hunt that guy down and send him a hat. <laughs> I think I'm going to send him a bear grease hat. A, a beaver, a beaver a felt beaver felt, hat. A beaver felt hat. Okay. Um, so just for, if anybody's new to the render, okay, the, the, the bear grease podcast, our documentary style podcast is so, you know, just, polished produce scripted which people get scared of that word but the truth is it is very scripted the the bear grease render is very much unplugged okay that's the idea (laughs) and so we do housekeeping for the first section of the podcast where we just kind of go through some stuff and then the last the last section of the podcast we get serious dan okay i'm trying and we 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 talk about the the content of the last Berger's podcast. So I wanted to, uh, I wanted to tell you all, I've had no less than let's just say 50 to a hundred. I'm losing count of how many people have sent me messages about uh, the Sturgill Simpson album. 
Oh, mm. have they been sending you messages? Mm. Oh God, yeah, every day, yeah. every day, and it's it's either one or two songs or the whole album. Yeah, yeah. You got to listen to it. Like, man, I can't listen to it again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. it's wonderful. Yeah. So this guy, I don't know. I, I didn't know much about Sturgill Simpson. Still don't. But he made a. As I understand it, it's a. It's a. What do they call albums where all the songs are connected together to kind of tell a story? A musical Theme? concept album. I don't know. Maybe. But he, he talks a lot about <laughs> mules, hounds. Yeah. And uh, everybody's like, Clay, you're going to love it. And so, anyway, it's a cool album. So, uh, yeah. So, no need to alert me to, uh, to that anymore. <laughs> the first one was really cool. I mean, the first guy that did was cool. Um, I, th- I think, listen to Juju. When people send you messages, why don't you be nice, Clay? Hey, listen, everybody that sent me a message felt like they were the first person. Uh, My response. They don't anymore. Well, because I was just like, thanks, man. That's awesome. (laughs) Wow. What a response. Thanks, man. (laughs) No, no, it was good. It was good. Okay. Uh, Covering covering a few things, and then I'm going to give y'all a chance to, if you have any news or anything that you want to update. So... I was recently on the the Meat Eater podcast, and this is another thing that my inbox has been full of this week. I was on Steve Rennell's Meat Eater podcast. Man, I was I was bear hunting with Steve Rennell, and somewhere in the backcountry, I brought up that I had read somewhere, I didn't know where, but I had read that a way to measure the amount of bear grease, an, an old way from the 1800s, 1700s, a way to measure a volume of bear grease that could be used as a monetary exchange like money was called an eel, an E-L-L of bear grease, which was the tanned neck height of a deer that was sewed together and then used as like a, you know, like a, like a, a big, big flask that would hold bear oil. So I tell him that and he got excited about that, as was I. And he was like, oh, man, that's cool. You know, this old archaic unit of measurement. And so we get on the podcast and he's like, hey, where did you hear that? And he kind of got called out. I listened to it. Yeah. And I was like, man, I said, I know. I just know for a fact I read it in some type of academic reading years and years ago. Wikipedia. Wikipedia. <laughs> and I couldn't I couldn't tell him. I said, I don't know. And then Giannis gets on there and they start looking. And I mean, pretty soon it's like, Clay, you're just full of it. Oh wow. <laughs> Again. And I, I didn't have any I didn't have an answer. And I, I actually I guess I did know it was coming because I had ri- written an email to one of an author that I thought had said it. And he was like, Nope, I never said that. But I, and I lost sleep over this. I'm serious. It bothered me big time. I mean, not that they gave me a hard time. I mean, I deserved that if I couldn't couldn't find it. Um, but just like I knew that it was somewhere, and I couldn't remember. I mean, it's been so many years. But I've said it for years as if it was just like 100% truth. And that's why I was pretty confident in it. Man, the, the Bear Grease world came through for me. Apparently, there's people that are a lot better at researching phrases, and there are some really technical ways to search the internet like better than Giannis Patelis is that what you're saying well I mean he was just google searching which I did too Uh but the first guy and the first guy this is going to encourage people to you know 
I don't know what it's going to encourage him to. Let me just tell you. As long as we're encouraging the people, I feel good. Okay. The first guy that sent me the screen capture from an academic journal that this was in, and it was citing the source of 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 an old journal that said an eel of bear grease is a unit of measurement that could be used as as an exchange. I mean, I, I tell you what, I'll pull it and read it. I was so excited. I sent him a bear grease hat. There and within go. minutes, let's say hours, like tons of people from all over the country started sending me the documentation. Documentation. So anyway, I sent it to I sent it to Bear Grease Nation. I sent it to the again. to the higher ups. <laughs> let them know. Um, <laughs> so uh, no, I, you crushed the send button on that when you uh, sent it. Didn't yeah, you? I, I you put really a little did. sticky with note a on there that said "Eat it, boys." <laughs> <laughs> he hit it with a hammer. No, okay, here it is. So uh, it says a black bear was a valuable commodity to early settlers of Arkansas. It was. It was. It was in um, a thesis project done by a University of Arkansas student about Arkansas black bears. Okay. So I probably studied this in two thousand three and four when I was supposed to be studying what I was you know there to study right. in college, but didn't. Um, black bear was a valuable commodity to early settlers of Arkansas. The price for bear skins at Arkansas Post in 1806 ranged from $1 to $2 each. Bear oil sold for $1 per gallon in 1834. In, er- in, in the early 1880s, an eel of bear grease. Spell for- that. E-L-L. E-L-L. L-E-L. How would you say Eel? E-L-L. I would say L. An L of bear grease. Formed from the hide of the head and neck of a deer was a standard medium of exchange. A man's status as a provider was judged by the number of eels of bear grease that stood by the fireplace. Bear meat sold for $10 per hundred pounds. That's big money that is, back That then. is the creed of this podcast. Boom, roasted. We're going to have it stamped into bronze mm. and make a plaque. Like a very heavy plaque. Is this your tombstone? <laughs> Could be used for that later. I like killing multiple birds with one stone. Hmm. That's good stuff right there. It came from, somebody's going to ask me where it came from. What was the wording? The measure of a man. The, a man's status as a provider was judged by the number of eels of bear grease that stood by the fireplace. Yeah. I mean, what if he pretty, had like 30 of them there? What's he going to do with all that bear grease? Well, I mean, it, it, was a, it was a measurement of exchange. So he'd take them to the store oh, and rich. trade it for something. I see. I see. But doesn't it make sense how, so they, they used the, the skin of a deer was basically a serious medium of exchange, but they were using the big part of the hide so that like the legs, the tail, yep. the neck and stuff would have not been as valuable. So presumably, you cut the neck and head off and make almost like a sock. I mean, could you imagine you the handle. neck. You yeah. pour it out his mouth. <laughs> pour, <laughs> yeah. I'm telling you. Oh man! So as I should. Brent's like, if you think the head and neck of a deer is cool to put bear grease, you ought to fill a whole deer hide that way. <laughs> yeah, just pop the You'll cork. You grease for a long time. <laughs> Bill Gates, man. Yeah. What do you think about that, Dad? I think it's awesome, man. Yeah. That's what I've got for my wealth. That's what's going to my kids. <laughs> he's, he's got his, his L's filled with Bitcoin now. Yeah. Rancid bear grease. Rancid um, Okay, moving on. So uh, we, got, we, got, we, got, we took a little flack from one person, one person, Uh-oh. over my story of the Captain Rooster. 
Oh, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Did y'all know that? I did. Um, <laughs> it kind of hurt. It, well, I knew there was a chance of that, but also knew that in, in, in before I said the story, I don't know if you remember, but I said anybody that challenges me <laughs> on the treatment of this animal just absolutely has no ground to stand on if they've ever eaten a chicken, an egg that came from any type of confinement agricultural farm. Because this chick, this rooster had the life of a king. Except for when you threw he, that block no, no. of wood at him no, no, and no, shot no. him with an arrow. Well, I think that nope, anyone that's nope. ever had a rooster actually understands. Uh, yeah, that's yeah, the definitely. thing. Every, yeah. I can't it's believe true. how many messages we've received from people who want to tell you their mean rooster yeah. stories. Yeah. I also can't believe how many pictures we found of a t- of Captain attacking people in full <laughs> attack mode. Oh, I mean, yeah. it's, it's a, he, he was pretty yeah. mean. And I think that it's only instinctive to protect yourself. This I, will, is, I will say when I saw that, was, this man probably did not grow up on a farm and has yeah. never been around a, a rooster. Okay, okay. I mean, but the thing of it was, is that he lived a very long life for a rooster. I'm and like, we only attempted to kill him once. And <laughs> so I you about are a that. proponent of euthanasia. Well, well, I mean, it's like if your dog bites your neighbor, what are you going to do? <laughs> Shoot your neighbor. <laughs> I'm wondering if he thought that it was unethical to shoot him with a bow and arrow. Well, okay. I mean, there's that more factors to this story, yeah. buddy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> not, I'm not talking to you. I'm talking right. to the guy. Oh, right. it's like he's perhaps, not talking to his easily replaceable I wife. Didn't want to shoot a gun right here. You know, maybe that's an option. You shoot guns chickens. here all the time, though. Oh, perhaps, come on, man. <laughs> perhaps. <laughs> perhaps Shepard's a better shot with a bow and arrow than... <laughs> yeah. Perhaps a bow and arrow is a more ethical way to kill something than a gun. Oh, I could... I, I mean, I'm being serious. That's not the reason we did it. It's a philosophical but, conversation here. <laughs> I'm about to pray on that. What is the reason you did it? Well, because I wanted Shepard to take care of it for me. <laughs> he wanted the rooster want dead. He wanted that bird dead. <laughs> yeah. Hey, just real quick. But when I was three years old, I went to my grandfather's farm and a rooster attacked me and I stuttered. And, you know, the family laughed about that for years. You know, it's just, you know, all that stuff. Well, oh, you went it, back. You went back to tell what happened, and you stuttered to your mom. Well, well, no, yeah, yeah, you know, and it was bad. And 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 here's how you handle a deal like that. I mean, all this stuff y'all doing is it's a waste of time. Yeah. Uh, You're saying how do we handle someone that has yeah. a complaint? Well, no, no, no. The rooster. The rooster. Gotcha, the way you gotcha, dealt gotcha. with your rooster. Here's how you deal rooster. with your rooster. That night for supper, guess what we had. We had chicken and dumplings. Rooster <laughs> stew. And of course, they so didn't, they, they they didn't re- tell my grandfather went out there immediately and killed that rooster. Really? And cleaned it and threw it in a pot hey, and cooked it. That's a good story. I've, I've got a Lewin Newcomb story. So my grandfather's name is Lewin Newcomb. His picture's right there. That is dad's father. Lewin Newcomb, when I was a little boy, he told me, and, and this was a, this story was ripe with, philosophical proverb mm. okay he told me that when he was a boy you remember this story i i know you'll remember it, dad he said when he was a boy they had this big rooster big old rooster they got a new rooster a young rooster the big rooster whooped on the young rooster the young rooster he became subordinate to the big rooster well the young rooster grew up and paps said he always knew that the young rooster could have whipped the old rooster, but never did because 
he thought he was the lesser of the two. Mm. He said one That's day. That's because chickens don't know how to look at mirrors. He, right. he said he said one Major day. Pro- chicken problem. And I don't know if he did this or if his dad did this or what, but I believe the story to have been him to have done this. He covered the old chicken in black wood ash to change its color and then pitched it out in the yard. And the young rooster sees a new rooster and comes and just whoops the fire <laughs> out of the old really? rooster. And and he was trying to tell me that to say, it's all in your head. Yeah. It, you know, you can do a lot more than you think you can do. Do you remember him telling that story? No, really. I don't. He, I, he preached that to us. I'm telling you, he, he told I me that story five times. I think he liked you better than he did me. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. So I, I was telling Dad about this guy that was giving us a hard time. And tell me what you said, Dad. Dad called me the other day. <laughs> well, you know, this guy didn't like the captain's story. And, 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 you know, I could see where he was coming from. But I didn't particularly like, you know, the way... You addressed him, even though it was it was very good. Well, and I was addressing him just in talking to you. Yeah, like yeah, I never officially yeah, addressed yeah, the guy. Yeah. So anyway, you know, I just told Clay. I said, you know, when you're dealing with people that are coming at you from a negative standpoint, my experience working for forty years is you immediately agree with them. You know, I, I mean, I, I have seen so many, I've defused so many arguments by going, you know, you're making a great point. It, they they used to come in my office and be so mad they couldn't even see straight. And the first thing I would they, they were dealing with people that would go, "Hey man, this is the regulations," you know. And I, I would go, "Man, I don't blame you for being mad." I said, "I've had something like you know." So you defuse them, and then you eventually tell them where they're wrong, and they leave happy. And so when mm-hmm. I look at this kid, I thought, you know, it's ironic, but he believes the exact same thing you know he 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 doesn't want the animal rights people to take our hunting privileges so i mean he pretty much slapped down his reputation his love for bear grease he laid it on the line man he said i ain't tolerating this stuff you know he misinterpreted the whole thing he made a mistake but I, i saw that I like this kid, you know. I mean, he's got the right. He's got what you're fighting for. He just misinterpreted this deal and carried it too far. I thought. Yeah. But and uh, I, I bet you, twenty dollar bill. He's under thirty years old. I'll tell you why. Because cancel culture is essentially where if somebody does anything wrong to you, you cancel them. Just okay. canceled. Done. And that that is kind of the the modern trend. Where Betty's not 30 years old. I could be wrong. Hey, the opposite side of that is instead of attacking you, I mean, he could have done it in a way where, where you know, I mean, a lot of people don't like you shooting a chicken with a bow. You know, well, how'd my grandfather kill that chicken? He probably wrung his neck about the same thing. But so he should have been supporting you. You should have been supporting him. Yeah. No, it's wild. You know, I read, a, I, I believe I heard this on a podcast, but it was a guy that was he basically did a study on the on the humane treatment of chickens that his study was on the humane treatment of chickens and he studied two types of chickens he studied confinement agriculture chickens that are raised in chicken houses and he studied 
cockfighting roosters. Oh, man. Yeah. And this guy wasn't like pro cockfighting. What he was trying to do was show the hypocrisy inside of mankind in general. And basically, a, chi- a confinement agriculture chicken, like you'd go to your big mainstream grocery store, the cheapest chicken you can buy. That chicken is genetically modified such that it has huge amounts of meat. These animals are designed to live six months and then be butchered. If they live longer than that, they weigh so much they can't even function. They're fed all kind of hormones. They're, I mean, just they they live. You know, literally, probably have a square foot of space I that they're able exactly. to live. We, I grew up. We had two chicken houses. Yeah, thirty-five thousand chickens in each house. Yeah. So I'm I'm not dogging that. Don't some if you write me and say that I'm anti-agriculture, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> just Nor is he it. endorsing <laughs> cockfighting roosters. So no, I just want to make listen, that clear as no, well. No, no, listen. And 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 then the guy said, so he he paints the picture of the confinement agriculture chickens in their life, six months, you know all this. And then he yeah. goes, and then I went down. He maybe had to go to another country, or maybe the study was done a long time ago. I don't know. And he said, cockfighting chickens. They usually don't start fighting them until they're two years old. So they've already lived three times the amount of time that a confinement agriculture chicken would live. And he said they're fed incredible diets. And steak and eggs. They, they, get, they have <laughs> much more space. A lot of them are raised in bigger spaces. This is not an indoor. And the guy was like, hey, I'm anti cockfighting. Like, but it's the a tough, point, the point was. I've got a question. Do you think this gentleman that wrote in about the captain, if we covered you in ash, do you think he'd whip your tail? <laughs> That's a great way to get out of this conversation. Yeah. No, I really do. It, being being inside the hunting community and baiting bears and doing a lot of things that seem controversial to people, I, I love actually getting down to the nitty-gritty of the ethics of some of this stuff because usually there's like big holes inside of the way people think that if you just slowed down and looked at it a little different, you'd be like, well. Or fill those holes up with information. Yeah. Do a little research. Do yeah. a little study. Read a book. We are about 20 minutes past when we should have stopped talking about chicken. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Five, it was five minutes, Chicken Josh. grease. Chicken <laughs> grease. Chicken grease. I was making me hungry is what it's doing. I'm starving. Oh. Uh, no, okay. Uh, I did have a guy send me a picture of a uh, legit Black Panther, <laughs> a white one. Whoa. No, a white one. Yep, it's called a. Uh, it's not an albino, but it's a leucistic panther. Whoa, uh, animal has partial loss of pigmentation. It isn't purely right. This they call it a puma, but it's essentially. I'm not. I'm not sure if it's the exact same species as our mountain lions but it was found in the brazil's atlantic rainforest and they've been getting uh trail camera pictures of it oh wow it, 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 supposedly crazy. this is from 2013 so i haven't checked on the much more than just a quick search oh, wow. but Lucistic. hey thanks man whoever sent me that that was nice uh not to get a black one still getting black panthers <laughs> photos by the day without any explanation thank the you. black panthers are literally sending him their <laughs> selfies <laughs> <laughs> we're yeah. for real man yeah yeah all right, Josh. Yes, you have a song for us. Me and no, Misty. no, 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 no. Oh, I forgot the funniest part. I forgot the funniest part of the the story of the guy 
that gave us a hard time about the captain story. He gave us five stars. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he did. I saw that. He gave us five stars. You remember the other guy was like, uh, the other guy was like, man, this is this is the legendary podcast. <laughs> Best and one like, ever. Two stars. Two stars. <laughs> <laughs> so this guy that got on to us, he was like, Clay, I'm never listening to this again, yada, yada, yada. Five stars. Man, you win some, you lose some, I guess. (laughs) Kind of balances out in the end. Yeah. You guys had some reviews you wanted to talk about, though, didn't you? I've got one. Okay, yeah. Tell me what it is, Josh. Read it. Uh, This guy, I I thought it was an excellent review. Uh, The Bearded Mystery Man. I knew knew that was you. (laughs) This is probably the best podcast to ever hit the digital airways. It's informative, interesting, humorous, challenging, and so much more. I look forward to the release every week. The main podcast is great, but the render is next level. The group (laughs) of panelists every other week are some of the most entertaining humans on earth, especially that Landbridge guy. (laughs) What a shining star. What I wouldn't give to have a face-to-face conversation with him. Keep up the good work, Clay and Meat Eater. Signed. You're stars. telling Five me stars. you don't Signed know who Josh's that. mom. It's not, yeah, that's, that's going to be dead. <laughs> you wrote that. There, there is no doubt in my mind that you wrote that. Wrote that. <laughs> oh, you did. I, I told you. I told you. you told me. You actually did. I told you you did it. I was waiting for you to read that one. <laughs> I knew it. It was a plant. Okay, uh, I read it, and I was like, I actually sent it to you right away, and I was like, man, this is like this I thought maybe <laughs> I thought maybe one of your kids did it or something. I didn't know you did. Oh, that's this is funny, Josh. This yeah. is low. This is low. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I, I think I, we should impeach him, man. This is a impeachable. Yeah, yeah. Cancel. Cancel him. Cancel him, Josh. Oh, that was easy. Cancel Josh. <laughs> that felt good. Hey, I got one. So on Friday, the the title of the review is "Great Waste of Time." (laughs) (laughs) It's it's from the Y.O. Archer, and I'll just read the the. It's it's long. It's great. I'll read the first and the last sentence. He says, "I just want to take the opportunity to thank Mister Newcomb for such a spectacular." waste of my time and he's, he's of course he's being tongue-in-cheek he's being facetious but he just goes on to talk about he just enjoys basically hanging out with us and and he says you ever driven through southwestern wyoming on his way back and forth to work you'd be dozing through the board and too thanks for wasting my time in such fashion clay and guests and all the boys in the render uh it's just fun yeah, I, yeah. I say i really enjoy coming and hanging out and it's cool that this gentleman is hanging yeah. out with us misty okay I, the chicken thing, I don't look at iTunes reviews, but I read that one. I, I pulled it up to read the chicken and we were in the car and I just started reading them, a bunch of them out loud. And we came to this one and it <laughs> said, I honestly was not a fan of Clay when he was on the meat eater. I, th- <laughs> oh, I, read this one. I thought he dominated the conversation too much. <laughs> And I just looked and said, yeah, yeah. story of my life. <laughs> he goes on to say that he loves this one. And, and well, go ahead and read that okay, part, Okay, okay, all right. You want me to read the good part, too? <laughs> all right, all right. Now, given his own podcast, I love his take on, on issues and topics. Great stories, and I like the render. Keep it up. But nice. it, it was Juju. pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> I love it when people are trying to say something nice, and they start it with telling kind of the baseline of how they really hated you before. <laughs> Here it is. I'm on a, here's the tip of the spear. Okay. This is from Acorns. 
<laughs> Five stars, lots of acorn talk. <laughs> lots of acorn. <laughs> that was it. Quick and to the point. Quick and to the point. All right. Dad, did you have a review? Yeah, I have a. It, okay. it was very short. I was going to read through all of them. In fact, I asked Judy to do it and pick one out for me. But this thing was just real short. And, and I read it, and I thought, well, why read any more? This kid titled it, I say kid, it, you know, could be an old guy like me. He said, awesome. I love the research. I love the information. Very good. Thank you, Mr. Newcomb, something like that. But, you know, when you think about it, I listened to a few podcasts and I enjoy several podcasts. And uh, my point is this this Bear Grease is, is well-researched. It is scripted. There's so much time and depth put into it. That's why he likes the research and the information. So that's why I like it is because it's not just a bunch of good old boys sitting around yipping. You know, which I like that too. Like no, this is nobody well, wants to hear that. Yeah, <laughs> but but really, so I I compliment you on the work that's put into it. What's interesting is that people say Clay is a great storyteller. Well, guess what? When we're at deer camp, you know who I listen to most? It's not Clay. It's not me. It's usually some of our friends that are really great storytellers. Yeah. But if those same people were doing a podcast, you probably wouldn't like it too much. I mean, it's the research. It's the work. So whether you're hunting, it's your career, whatever you're doing, I mean, it, it, the work pays off. Well, and, and to, uh, to add some mass to really what he's saying. Is like we're reading all this stuff and people people say Clay's a good storyteller. And me and dad are like, Oh, you want to find a good storyteller? We'll we'll meet we'll show you a storyteller. It's not me. And I and I'm being serious. Uh I was interviewed by a lady the other day for something, and I I she was like Clay, how do you tell stories? How do you formulate this in your mind? How do you do this? What you know, how did you and I mean, like, you know, she's saying, like, you're a good storyteller. And I just said, I said, I'm not a good storyteller. I know good storytellers. And I've always rejected when people have said that I'm a good storyteller. And I told her this. I said, because I reject that because every time I've seen somebody that thought they were a good storyteller, that it, it, it corrupted them. Mm. I mean, like, when you're at a campfire and you're the guy that's stepping up to the plate to tell 80% of the stories, usually that's the guy you don't want to hear talk. Usually it's the guy sitting in the back that didn't say anything that's really got something to say. And what I kind of distilled my idea of storytelling down is, is that a good storyteller is passionate about the story. I mean, it's not oratory skill. It's not detail. Because you could... You could be trained to tell a story. And there is, there is some skill involved in like actually learning how to tell a story. But, but a passion to tell the story for someone else. And I, and I think that's what fuels Bear Grease. Like when I talk about Roy Clark and James Lawrence and Daniel Boone and these guys, like that's what I, that's the, I like. So I agree with Dad. It's not about good storytelling. It's about, wanting to get the story, the, the truth of the story out. You know, what's interesting is that if I had worded, if I had taken the time, which I would not do, 
if I'd have taken two or three hours and written this out, the bottom line would have been exactly what you said. And here I go to tell it, and I forget that. You, you know, so you don't forget stuff because you do the research and you actually script it. You know, I'm yeah. in the bow shop one day, and this guy sees me walk in, and he tells his buddy, he goes, Clay's son, man, is a great storyteller. You ought to go listen to him. And I, I didn't say anything, but I thought he's really not a great storyteller. <laughs> but, 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 I mean, really, dear camp, he's not. But his storytelling on the render is, is unbelievable. So any, and you think, well, okay, Gary, what you're saying, anybody could do this. Well, no, you can't. I can't. You got to have the love of the subject first. You got to have the desire to communicate it in a way to captivate people. So, I mean, it goes deep. And then you can't just instantly turn it on. You got to start reading in college. Instead of studying algebra, you go to the library and study bear. And then when you get your diploma, you don't quit reading, you keep reading. And all of a sudden, you got a base of knowledge, and knowledge is power, and blah, blah, blah. So, you know. He said it all, research, it's information, and that's why these are good. Yeah. Now, now the render, oh, my goodness, it's good, too. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. something. The, the, the render, I mean, yeah, I enjoy the render. I think people render. are hungry for stories. Yeah. I think, I think we're at a time, too, in our, just in the, the, the climate of the planet where these stories of connection to the land are resonating with people. Yeah, they, they really seem to be. And I'm very, very interested in identity. Always have been for a long time. I mean, personal identity, but also national identity. And that's why Boone is so interesting. Hey, Josh and Misty have a song, Cumberland Gap song. So now we're going to start talking about the Cumberland Gap. All right, Josh, tell us what you're playing. All right, we're going we're gonna to sing a song here about the Cumberland Gap. It's David Rollins. David Rollins. So on the, on, the, on the podcast, that was the Wayfarers song, that was, uh, which is an old-timey version of a song called Cumberland Gap. This is a newer version. I mean, a, diff- a totally different song, Completely but a different. new one. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, right. Misty, you ready? Ready. We have never played this song together. This is the part I don't like about the Bear Grease <laughs> podcast. We just kind of, yeah. Cumberland Gap is the devil of a gap. Cumberland Gap is the devil of a gap. Kiss me, mama, kiss your boy. Bless me well and lucky. For I won't be back till I return. I'm going to old Kentucky. Cumberland Gap is the devil of a gap. That's what the scouts all tell you. Sure enough, it'll make you tough. If it doesn't kill you, kill you. Kentucky, she's awaiting on the other side. Give you the fever, put the daylight in your eyes. Brother John's already gone with a full blood turkey maiden. He 
made the trip from the blizzard's grip I'd rather wrestle Satan Cumberland Gap, she's the devil of a gap Oh, the snow kept coming Picked her up upon his back Oh, he loved that woman Daniel stood on the pinnacle rock Looking up and down the mountain Took his trusty open lock Daniel started shouting, shouting Kentucky, she's waiting on the other side Give you the fever, put the daylight in your eye Cumberland Gap is the devil of a gap Cumberland Gap is the devil of a gap Cumberland Gap is the devil of a gap Cumberland Gap is the devil of the gap. Awesome. Awesome. Hey, awesome. Really awesome. 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 Really good. Man, that was awesome. Ready to win Mother's Day and cement your reputation as the best gift giver in the family? Give the moms in your life an Aura digital picture frame preloaded with decades of family photos. She'll love looking back on these memories and seeing what you're up to today. Even better, with unlimited storage and an easy-to-use app, you can keep updating mom's frame with new photos, so it's the gift that keeps on giving. And this is not a joke. Juju Nukem has an Aura frame, and we share photos, and they're incredible. Also, my mother-in-law has one. We have them. They truly are Really good, really high quality. The Aura Frame is easy to set up. It takes just two minutes to set up a frame using the Aura app. It also adjusts the display depending on light levels in the room to maintain the true color of your photos. For real, the digital screen is amazing. Right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Listeners can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off plus free shipping on their best-selling frame when you use code BEAR. B-E-A-R, BEAR. That's AuraFrames.com. Use code BEAR at checkout to save. Terms and conditions apply. Montana Knife Company was founded by Josh Smith, one of the world's most experienced master bladesmiths. He's been making knives for 30 years. Made in the USA and manufactured locally in Montana. The knives come with a multi-generational warranty and free sharpening. Designed, tested, and built by hunters, MKC is a hunting knife company first and foremost. They have the sharpest knives out of the box and the easiest knives to sharpen. And that is the dadgum truth. You better be careful with them when you get them. They are sharp. MKC is a fast-growing company. They just hired their 55th employee and are looking to hire about 50 more in the next year or so. I've carried a lot of these Montana knives and the one that I like the most is their Speed Goat, which is a lightweight hunting knife, just the right size. MKC knives sell out within minutes of being released. So head over to MontanaKnifeCompany.com. They have new knives for sale every Thursday at 7 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. So check their website and sign up for their text and email alerts. That is the best way to find out when they have knives available. Use code BEARGREASE10 for 10% off your first order. Montana Knife Company, working knives for working people. The old timers say that the turkeys start gobbling when the leaves are as big as squirrel's ears and the red buds start popping. And we're about there. And we are there in the south. 
The Onyx Hunt app is one of my most valuable tools in the spring woods. With tools like coniferous versus deciduous tree distribution layer, you can save time by locating edges or transition areas of mixing habitats from home. Find an area like this with water in close proximity, and more than likely, there will be a goblin turkey nearby. Knowing the exact boundaries of private ground ensures I stay on the right side of the fence, but can easily find public ground to go see if I can't strike a gobbler. If you do get one to sound off, using compass mode and waypoints will help you pinpoint his exact location, allowing you to move in and make the perfect setup to bring him right into your lap. Download the Onyx Hunt app today. You'll be glad you did. Onyx has a special offer for you. Use code BEARGREASE to receive 20% off your membership at onxmaps.com slash hunt this spring. You know, what I, what I do love about, I think I, I, I like things that attract the attention of multiple genres of life. So the Cumberland Gap, I can connect to a gap in a mountain from a hunting perspective because my whole life we've talked about gaps in mountains that animals travel through that we hunt. And then this gap is also, it's just so complex because this gap has become this thing that was the gateway to the West for Daniel Boone. It was super influential in the travel corridors of Native Americans, just super complex. And so, and by multiple genres, I mean artists flock to the Cumberland Gap. I mean, most of the people that I interviewed, even Josh, who didn't know much about the Cumberland Gap, he knew that folk singers wanted to sing about the Cumberland Gap. But, uh, man, what did y'all think of the podcast? It was good. It was, uh, it was full of information that I did not know. Was it, was it, uh, it was kind of dense. It was very mm-hmm. dense. Yeah. Very dense. I actually had to listen to it a couple times because I got through the first time and I was like, oh, wait, I missed a big portion of that. Yeah. I've got to go back and listen to that again. I yeah. think the, I think the part that I found the most interesting was listening to the gentleman at the end, the Cherokee. Yes. Taylor, oh. Taylor Keen. Yeah. yeah. What a, what a interesting, uh, perspective. Yeah. It was, it was neat to hear him talk because I, you know, I, I, you know, I don't know why, but I think a lot about Native American people and Native American history. I find it really fascinating. I love the art and uh, just the, the 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 tragedies that the Native Americans have endured through. Um, to it would be very easy to look at that period in history and be bitter. Yeah. And he was very, you know, not not sweeping anything under the rug, but at the same time saying. Look, this is the history that's brought us to where we are. Yeah, and uh, and the the just the the value that he placed on the exploration of Daniel Boone, and and while not negating the the normalcy of what it would have been for Native Americans yeah. a thousand years before Daniel Boone. Yeah, or man, ten. he he. Uh, so there's, I want to talk about him talking about the land bridge. Do you I write, do too. Because oh, he, I, I specifically didn't say land bridge. I had a, I had another guy write in and say, "Hey, quit disseminating false information about the land bridge." There was a time when the land bridge in in the passage of humans across the land bridge was like the primary theory of how humans got to North America. That theory has now been broken up, and there's been newer things that have happened. And ultimately, th- there's. And I'm not an expert on all those theories. 
I do know that there's a place called Cooper's Ferry deep in Idaho that supposedly has some of the oldest human existence, which shows that potentially there was it's it's connected to water travel into North America into the Northwest. So like these people, you know, they're saying they came over on boats. There's also evidence that down in South America that humans have been there for way longer than people than the stuff we see from the land bridge. So we'll do a podcast at some point on all these different theories. But basically he was like, dude, Taylor Keene was like, your land bridge story doesn't cut it for the <laughs> Cherokees. Does this yeah. is this <laughs> a representation is this telling peoples. that Josh the land bridge spielmaker was is soon gonna break up and go the way <laughs> yeah. of the old land bridge theory. Well, I mean, hey, shave his mustache. What about what about the Cherokee story of where they came from? Do you do you remember? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Like, he said the, he said their when story. he said the with the blow darts the blow, yes. that I was like what that, I mean that, that blew my mind. I really incredible. thought it was fascinating. And how okay okay the reason that there's no more land bridge between Alaska and Russia is because. Glaciers melted, sea levels rose, which would have all kind of, you know, he said that their island flooded yep. in, their, in their stories. I mean, they didn't just make this up after hearing the science. Like, this, these are ancient stories. And, and big turtles are big in their cosmology. And anyway, so if that was the case, you know, he was saying maybe they came in from the west side, maybe from the east side. Um, of the gap, but yeah, I thought Taylor Keene's input was was incredible. It was my it was my favorite part, and he he didn't gloss over anything, and you didn't either in the interview with him or talking to him. But when he talked about, you know, that forever it was Daniel Boone, you know, his that was promoted as discovering, you know, the Cumberland Gap when it the Native Americans have been rolling through there for. You know, ten thousand years, as, or as long could be as long yeah. as ten thousand years. It was. It reminded me of some old man I used to work with about uh, when somebody else would take credit for something, a, a job or, or a laboring that someone else had done, and and he would always say, you know, that's kind of like we killed a bear, but Paul's the one that shot him, where the credit wasn't going actually going. You know, mm-hmm. I'm sitting here bragging about you know this this activity that we did yeah but really it was these other folks over here that yeah that did it but i was there i was with them yeah and but he actually you know white europeans we weren't even there really yeah well i tried to really paint the picture of what i have seen painted for me i mean this isn't an original thought that i had but from the the books that I've read and research I've done, I mean, Daniel Boone was Daniel Boone because of indigenous people. Mm-hmm. Like, that's what made him. And that really is what distinguishes American identity from Europe. Yeah. Like, if you really boil it down, like, these people came over with totally the, the worldview and ideology coming from Europe, Scotland, Ireland. They came here and then... They were so influenced by Native Americans, especially the first people that got here because they had to learn how to hunt. They had to learn how to survive on this continent. And and then, so the, the backwoodsman, the frontiersman, is this merging of English, Western views, and Native American. Yeah. This, this, this merging of it. And what's wild is that today, and why I was so interested in Boone, is that 
today, Boone's influence on the American hunter is extremely notable. Extremely notable. Um, Misty, what was your favorite part? Well, I was going to say I, that whole last section, I thought you did a good job telling the story from a lot of different angles. And I thought that Robert Morgan did a good job in kind of almost uh, classic professor sort of instructing everyone how to hear history and how to, how yeah. to take it in. And what yeah. I liked about the podcast is that it did show, it did show multiple perspectives mm-hmm. of this, of this piece of history. And I think that right now when we went to, we went to the Cumberland Gap that's on the podcast and we watched this little video with the kids before we, we hiked it. And in the video, they kind of just gloss over the fact that Native American people were there first. And it, it you know, it just really kind of, they were a, a blip on the, on the picture. And as we were hiking, that was one of my questions is what, what about that side of the story? You know, you're, we're celebrating Daniel Boone and we're celebrating him as the person who discovered this, but what about, what about that that side of the story? And I think what this podcast did a good job of doing is showing that. And I think it's important to do that. Clay and I were talking, I've taught some history classes for high schoolers. And one of the things that we have them do before we, that I've had them do before we go in, into any type of history is we just walk through the building and do a little, a little walk around and then make everybody write down all the different things that they did, uh, that they saw. And, you know, the people at the front might see someone in the hallway who's gone into a room by the time the people at the back round the corner. And so they would not see that same person. And so the person at the front of the line is going to say there was someone at the, in the hallway and the person at the back is going to say the hallway was empty. And we all tell the story and we agree. We don't think anyone in the room is lying. Right. And these are, you know, totally different stories, completely different. People on the exact same journey. And we talk about with a totally different story and the importance of understanding what everyone sees that you don't actually know the full history of what happened in that hallway unless we have all of our perspectives and that that's one perspective does not invalidate another. But until we have all the perspectives and really are looking at history from all these different angles. So I like that you did that. And I think it's important. I think it's super important to have those different perspectives of it. And Taylor Keene's a, you know, wonderful representative and he knows a whole lot of the, of the history. And I think it's super cool just on a practical level, the oral tradition that they have as a people that I, we, you know, I, I would not say we have as a our, my family anyway does not have that type yeah. of of oral history, and I think those are real important components of of looking at history. So yeah. I really enjoyed the podcast. Dan, what was your favorite part? Probably two things. So one was the whole kind of the mechanism of smallpox mm-hmm. and how like yeah. w- you know these European settlers came as this is wide open wilderness, and just imagining the people you know. I, th- I think that Dr. Keene said, you know, think if your hundred closest relatives and friends yeah. and now all of you, but five are gone. Right. Yeah. That's a, that's, I just a thought, that's a picture. Oh my mm-hmm. goodness. It just didn't occur to me and the whole kind of narrative and story. And then the other thing that really stuck out to me was the right, right before uh, the very end where you read was supposedly Daniel Boone's own words. Yeah, John Filson. John Filson's Man, people, account. I'm going to pound that name into people. Yeah. There's, there's a couple of names beside Boone that everyone's going to know by the time they're done with this. John Filson and Lyman Draper. John Filson. John Filson was the one in Did 1784. Lionel Richie? John Filson, Lionel Richie, and yep. Lyman Draper. Gotcha. <laughs> so, um, no, so Filson was the one in 1784 who wrote a book about Kentucky. One single chapter in the book was about Colonel Daniel Boone. 
who no one knew his name. You know, no, he was just regionally famous. Yeah. And then that catapulted him. So go ahead. So whenever Filson, in, in writing in Daniel, Daniel Boone's words, said, I, and I can't remember the exact phrase, but he, in his mind, what was on the other side of the gap was a second paradise. Yeah. This idea that out there, there's something more, there's something. And just the whole, you go out there, and he was anxious and worried and, and needed extra philosophy. You know, he was kind of pushed to his limits. But he was in search of, you know, the idea of there's a paradise out there. So yeah. That's very. The, I don't know if it was a concerted effort. I don't think there was like a American marketing team in the 1800s <laughs> that met together under some administration. and was like, we're going to market the Cumberland Gap in the West as this. But that's essentially what happened. Well, we, I think uh, collectively, like our that that kind of part of American culture and our consciousness we wanted that, and so it naturally came out. Well, think think about the direction of movement from where we came, where white Europeans came from, and they would have been coming from. The only reason they left is because they didn't like it where they were. Right. So they were they were leaving oppression, leaving poverty, leaving something, and and just mo- think about momentum, even in physics. Like you start moving a direction. It's hard to stop. So once they came west and got to the colonies and then got to America, there was this drive. And, you know, he talked about how Jefferson and Washington and all these leaders of early America were like the West, the West, the West. And I'll I'll drop a statement that you'll hear in part three, which nobody's heard yet. But Robert Morgan, he tells me that Jefferson said that the Ohio River was the most beautiful river in the world and he'd never been there but he was and, and he he changed the entrance of one of his houses the the key entrance was originally facing the east and he changed it to face the west wow so Symbolism. like and, and these are the thought leaders of this country yeah and so the idea this paradise beyond the mountains was just, I mean, it had appeal that was unstoppable. Yeah, Daniel Boone really is the 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 forerunner of manifest Man, they were destiny. Just, they were I just mean, looking for somebody to attach that to. Yeah, they were they were looking for a hero, and then the, the artist came in. You know, I started the podcast by talking about George Caleb Bingham's painting. And man, those in they call them the the romantic artists. Perhaps is the Enlightenment artists too. Um, they that picture, it's not in here. It's in the house right now. But oh, it it shows that like the the landscape is dark and ominous, and there's big dark rocks and 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 silhouettes of trees with no leaves. And then Boone's. It's like he steps into this beam of sunlight. His clothes <laughs> look like they've been pressed. Look like Malachi Nichols, <laughs> and he just looks so stately. And 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 these guys were were influential. I, I'll read what what was written about um, George Caleb Bingham, and so he was an influential writer or, or, or artist in early Americana. He was an early artist in early America. And he said, uh, it said his paintings were a, he was a significant contributor to early American genre painting. A significant contributor to early American genre painting were influential in crafting and disseminating political ideologies and popular myths about 
American national identity in the era, era of westward expansion. So it's like everything was like going, we got to go west, boys. We got to go west. And then D. Boone goes west, and he's a hero. And he was this phenomenal person. And just the, the American identity just latched onto him in such a powerful way, which is, which is pretty wild. Dad, what was your favorite part of it? Well, the bluegrass. You go through the Cumberland Gap. You don't know what you're going to find. And you find the, the most beautiful place on the planet almost. I mean, it, it's just wonderful. Yeah. And, and uh, they say, somebody said it was almost a miracle because there were no Indian tribes. There was nothing negative there because they looked at it as what? Blood something? Well, blood they, country? Dark and bloody. They called it the, the Native Americans called it the dark and bloody ground. That they wanted it. You know, I might have misinterpreted. But the way I looked at it, they wanted that ground for themselves. All of them wanted it. Yeah. And so, and, they so nobody over had it. it. That's right. Yeah. And so all of a sudden, Danny Boy walks in and he goes, <laughs> hey, man, I believe I'll take over this property. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, that, that's crazy. And the other thing that I noticed is that if we had school teachers, Misty, the, uh, if we had history teachers that could teach like this. Oh, yeah. I mean, can you imagine yeah. the interest? So that, and that's why yeah. I think we all want to learn, but we don't want to learn in a boring fashion. Right. We want to learn in a fun fashion. Uh, and, and one other point is through all this trauma all this adventure it's like boone would go i think you might have alluded to it dan is that i'm content yeah my my brothers left me i don't have a horse i don't have a dog i don't have all my supplies i'm going to get bat dung for guana for you know gunpowder uh, gunpowder and and i'm happy man yeah. i just look around and i go wow so there you go. Well, see, we're going to explore that a whole lot more in, in the third podcast about really where this idea of how we experience wilderness as Westerners comes from. Dan and I talked about it quite a bit. But you're referring to Boone's account of being that, in that first part of Kentucky. Man, I thought it was fascinating that Robert Morgan saw the connection between Robinson Crusoe. Yeah. Was that point clear? Yeah. Yes. I mean, just about how, like, it makes total sense that he would have done that. Yeah. Like, that he would have, he would have posed his story in the terminology, the fashion, the style of the popular thing of the period. And that people read it and thought it was true. Well, Robinson Crusoe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. exactly. Because... They wanted it to be true. It fit there. You know, just like you said, we wanted this, and so we attached it to yeah. Daniel Boone. They read Robinson Crusoe, and of course that's true. Yeah. It fits yeah. what we... Yeah, yeah. Hey, Clay, one, one last thing. It sounded to me like there were hundreds and thousands of Daniel Boone. We just happened to pick up on this guy. That's right. Probably not hundreds of thousands. Yeah, but, but there, there were several. That's the point that Steve Rinella made so well is that yeah, there were lots of guys doing the same stuff Boone did. And you'll hear in podcast number three, spoil alert, the Man. first time Dan went into Kentucky, he met white guys over there. He met, he met white oh, long oh, hunters oh. over there. And so, like, it, he, he certainly was one of the first. 
um, but wasn't the first. So there's a lot of people doing this. Um, no, man, if you go back and listen to or, or read, you should go read. You can pull it up on the Internet. You don't have to buy the book. But you can pull up on the Internet, John Felson's, you know, type in uh, Adventures of Colonel Daniel Boone. And you can read the whole chapter in that book. And, um, oh, did, golly, Filson was a good writer. Or Dan was a great speaker, <laughs> one or the other. He said, philosophy, okay, they use a lot of words that we're not familiar with. Philosophy, I haven't looked this up. I'm totally going off context clues. It essentially means, like, happiness. Somebody Felicity? Fact- Felicity. 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 That's, word, that's the word he mm-hmm. used. Yeah, somebody look up what that means. It because, means happiness. It means okay, happiness. Okay, let's see. I was right then. Philos- <laughs> Velocity is not a word. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Velocity is. Alex, will you check these people? <laughs> you've, got a couple, you've got some interesting Spell ways it, to Clay. pronounce things. F-E-L. Felicity. Felicity. Acorns. Felicity. F-E-L-I-C-I-T-Y. Yeah, Felicity. 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 He, okay, Boone said. Where's the short O coming? <laughs> felicity is the intense com- happiness. Yeah, yeah. Felicity is the companion of content and is found in our breast rather than an earthly treasure. He said that. And then he said at another point, he said, never before had I gr- had greater need of philosophy and fortitude. Um, he, oh, that's uh, a good, that's a really good line. Oh, he, it was full I, I, yeah. I, I wasn't able to write it all down I wanted to come in here and read it but you can listen to it on the podcast um, he, he said uh, he said he and John Stewart had a pleasing ramble I'm going to use that in the future for sure that's the render right there <laughs> yeah. pleasing yeah. ramble um, no but just the, uh, that was that was super fascinating yeah. to me that Boone did that um, I did have some people that were confused and they would have been based upon what I presented if they had no context for it. The Cumberland Gap, there's a lot of different names. If you remember when I was in the Cumberland Gap with my boys, I called it the Deer Path. Mm-hmm. Wasioto, which is the Shawnee, what the Shawnee called the gap. They called it the Deer Path. Okay, so that's one. They they also called the whole mountain range Wasioto, which meant area with a bunch of deer, basically. Um, the warrior's path. Right. So the Cumberland Gap, if you're standing in the Cumberland Gap on a trail, you're on the warrior's path. But the warrior's path is a long stretch of path mm. okay. that connected the Iroquois Confederacy to the Cherokees. And basically, man, there were times and seasons when they just went to war. It's like, oh, September 1st. Rolling get your out. tomahawks, boys. And they just went down to their... That you know their rivals' territory and just raised Cain. I mean, so they called it the Warrior's Path because that was the middle ground where where they passed through. So the other thing that it was called by white people was the Wilderness Road. So if you were standing in the Cumberland Gap, are you on the Wilderness Road? Yes, you are. But the Wilderness Road went from Virginia, maybe even up into Pennsylvania and went down through the Cumberland Gap and into Kentucky and then back up even into Ohio, as I understood it. So Wilderness Road, Warrior's Path, Wasioto, Deer Path, and it was, uh, it was later called Boone's Trace because in 1775, Boone went back through and was the first guy with machetes and hatchets and men, saws, horses, 
to cut a trail through the Cumberland Gap. And after that, they called it Boone's Trace. So and a lot then, of different names. And then Highway 74. And then Highway 25. <laughs> and then yeah. why didn't they just take I-40, man? I mean, they could have come down <laughs> like low and just missed this whole deal. So, I mean, you know what? Have I you mean? looked at it on a topo map? <laughs> no. To but think I, about that? But as a history student, uh, you know, I go home and study. You know, there's a lot of stuff I want to know. So, you know, it, it's it's intriguing the way your history teaching is. It gets you really curious. I, I want to know how high the Cumberland Gap was compared to the rest of the mountains, how far they traveled through. You know, why didn't they go south? Why yeah. did, you, you know, I mean. The Cumberland Gap is 1,300 feet in elevation. And it's, it's not the highest point. That's it's not, it's pretty not low. Mountains. I mean, that's not as high as mountains around here. Around. No. Oh, no, it's, it's not. They're not. Yeah, you get the idea that, like, if, if it was this impenetrable barrier, that it was like these huge 10,000-foot Rocky Mountains. No, the Cumberland Mountain, I think, is like in the 2,000-foot range. But it wasn't just, and, and Robert Morgan said this, it wasn't just a physical barrier. It was a geopolitical barrier because they were in the, in the accent and pronunciation. Did y'all hear me? Mm-hmm. Pronunciation I, oh, of Robert yeah. Morgan. He said they were forbad yeah. to go across the mountains. Did anybody catch him yeah. saying that? I yeah. did. They were forbad. Man, he pulls out some old English, man. That guy is the coolest guy, one of the coolest guys I've ever met. Um, but, yeah, so that was, that was the place where they couldn't go because it was French territory and Indian territory. And so it wasn't just that it was mountains. But the other thing, when you're restricted by your feet, a horse, and a wagon— and carrying supplies back in there, all of a sudden, a 2,000-foot mountain that runs for 200 miles is a pretty big barrier, you know? Hey, Steve Ranilla's portion. Yeah. I, when Steve was talking about death yeah. and how closely acquainted the people back yeah. then were right. with death and telling the story of Daniel Boone coming back yeah. through his son's remains— I think that really stuck out to me as I well. I thought that was really good as well. I thought How did it impact you? Yeah, I just thought I thought it's a, it's it is what he said there is that we do tend to underestimate how much death impacted these people, and you could yeah. do that either way. And I think both stories about the deaths that happened there that when he said the the when Taylor Keene said the part about imagine ninety five out of a hundred of your family mm-hmm. members, and when Steve Ranella kind of gave the narrative of of Daniel Boone going back and and holding his son that that was i thought was really powerful and it really humanized every you know, really humanized him yeah man see I, I finished up episode three today so i'm thinking episode three yeah you shouldn't have done wait that. till you hear yeah. episode three. <laughs> <laughs> oh man it's it's it it to me is the my favorite one because it really humanizes boone because we, I basically do clean up and tell all these stories about him. Some of it involves his family. A lot of it involves his later life. But I think it really puts a bow tie on his life, and you kind of see in him as human. And Yeah. I think the part about his family, and of course, I live with you, and this has sort of been Clay's life for a little bit now, and he's he's shared a lot of these stories. But I think it's important for people to hear about Daniel Boone, the family man, and what— with that that yeah. that version of them. What y'all think about uh, historical revision or relativism? Do you think we handled that fairly? Definitely, I think you handled. It. I mean, without a doubt, it seems like even in 
Daniel Boone, like in the subsequent just decades right after him, revisionism was happening because they're using this mythical character that kind of became Daniel Boone to write and broadcast a narrative. We got to go West. We got to do this. And so it's not like historical revisionism just started in the last decade. Right. Yeah. We've always been doing that. We're just yeah. well, maybe but a what, little but more what aware about of it now. Going back and looking at really bad stuff. That's that, that was the point of what I was saying was that uh, at the end of the podcast was, yeah. you know, because the, the cancel culture of today mm-hmm. is you find anybody that has any tarnish in their, in their life and then you go cancel them. And today, if you, if you did some of these egregious things. Hey, we're doing it right now. In a hundred years from now, they're going to be going, can you believe what they were doing back in oh, yeah. 2020? Mm-hmm. I mean, look I at think, how I they treated you, roosters. Exactly. Yeah, I, yeah. I think, I think y'all handle it very well, but you know, to me, it's a, it's, but it's, there's a lot of hypocrisy in that, in my opinion, because yeah. It's so easy to pick on the other guy. Well, if you trace your genetics back, guess what? Your great, 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 your bloodline was doing that. And if you had been there, you'd be doing the same thing is what I think. So you cut that out. Well, that's, that's, that's just it. It's like, if you go back very far anywhere, you're going to find egregious things because humanity has been on a a, a track of, I mean, in, in many ways you could say upward movement. There's some parts of the yeah. place that we've cleaned up. I've, we've got two girls in college now, and these are the types of conversations we've had a lot. It's, our oldest was here this year, and she would go into history classes and come out, and we would talk about sort of the take and how the professors were handling all of all of history now because it's a tricky time to, to teach things. And, and we talk a lot about cancel culture because I think that, that that idea that we just evaluate people by their worst the worst version of themselves, the yeah. worst aspect of themselves, and never give an opportunity for recovery, which we have no choice with these people who've been mm. dead for a hundred years. I, I think our as a as humans and as in our family, we want to be merciful. We want to be people because mercy has been extended to us, and so we want to always and we want our kids to have a growth mindset about life that you can always improve and and that cancel culture really shuts that down because you are judged and and it's current i mean people that are living are being canceled and some of them you know probably deserve and should have never been famous never should have been you know known but but the idea that you can't people can't change is such Mm -hmm. a tragic idea and such a I mean, it, it, it hinders any actual progress or growth from happening. So I think it's a real toxic mindset. And I think that's the importance of saying, let's tell all of the story and both stories and all sides, because you can't judge a person by one aspect of their life. And you can say that's wrong. What they did here was wrong. And in, in this, with what we know now, we shouldn't do that. And surely there should have been some things that people should have never done it's fair to say that is wrong and that should have been mm-hmm. wrong back then as well. That, that being true, I think that there's a real tendency right now to just shut people, cancel people out of, of history because it doesn't match your, what the standards we have I think, right now. I think it's a, I mean, you said you're very passionate about identity and cancel culture is essentially a faulty way of doing identity. Right. It's a very convenient way to do identity. Yeah. I can look at a person and if anywhere in their past or any connections in their, you know, doings, they have these certain things, 
I just, I get to just write them off. Um, but that's a very faulty way of doing identity yeah. Yeah. because all of, I mean, who does not have something in their past or back to what Gary said? What are you, you hiding? Know? Nothing. I know all about it. Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, that's good. But we do it good. because it's yeah. convenient. You're we right. don't do it because it's right. And it takes out the hard work of growth. Exactly. And it doesn't provide an opportunity for people to change and to say. And there's no incentive to yeah, change. I did wrong. Yeah. I'm so sorry. And that's such a powerful humility, such a powerful yep. place and a, a powerful opportunity to have. The other side is that these people are, they're dead. They don't have the opportunity to say, yep. wow, with this new information, I realized that <laughs> or, with or a much broader perspective. When you've, got, when you've got one book. And one chapter written about yeah, you, yep. yeah. and we're making gross assumptions about yeah. someone's life without their ability to explain. It's it's a little too easy. Even yeah. after hearing Clay's own testimony about the heart behind his rooster treatment, right? <laughs> I'm still canceling it. <laughs> yeah. People change. People change. Hey, I, I used to wet so. the bed. I don't do that no more. <laughs> <laughs> not, not yet. <laughs> yeah <laughs> much oh well hey this has been really good guys you know i had somebody write in and say i can't make up my mind if i love it or hate it every time you call him dan during podcast <laughs> i see i told you i've created, well, Gary called him danny boy i've so. created a legitimate internal controversy <laughs> you have so. once again polarized the nation <laughs> oh man cumberland gap well, you ain't talked about pickles gap Pickles Gap. Yeah, north of Conway. They got saltwater taffy and chickens. <laughs> <laughs> um, hey, the only negative thing about the, them rewilding the Cumberland Gap is apparently there was a real famous, cool, old uh, like pit stop gas station <laughs> up there somewhere, right around the Cumberland Gap. That was, uh, somebody will tell me what it is, but it was like, you know, scooters or spankies or something. <laughs> and it was like a hillbilly hangout. It, oh, it was yeah. not spankies. We definitely had a spankies where we grew up. Well, that is a true story. Uh, no. <laughs> well, hey, good render, guys. Um, yeah, episode three and we're done. We're done. We're out with Dan Boone. Third half Man, of this I, I'm, series. I'm, I'm, I'm grieved, though. I really I hate am. to see it go. I really am. I, I, yeah. I as I wrote this last one, I just, it's like I wanted to stay, I wanted to stay here, but, uh, but we got to move on. Gotta There's move other on. topics. Oh, and you know what? The thing is, is that you can't listen to three hour and 10 minute long podcasts and think you really have the scoop on DB. Oh, oh I mean, gotta read like, the book. we got a fourth nickname here, DB. <laughs> there's there's Cooper. so much, there's so much, and and so I hope that it catalyzes people to you know get Mr. Morgan's book, and there's tons of other good, there's all the Boone biographies. You know, there's this new one. I'll mention this new one. There's one out right now by Tom Clavin, Blood and Treasure. I've got it. Uh, the John Mack Farragher one is probably right behind. Um, Boone's as known as a really good one. Um, this one's brand new. This one came out just this year. But uh, anyway, I would highly suggest though uh, the my father Daniel Boone, the Lyman Draper paper papers. Man, that now that is when it gets real when you start reading Nathan Boone talking about his dad. 
But all right, guys. Thank you so much. Keep the wild places wild. Because that's where Daniel Boone killed bears and such. Traveling music, please. (laughs) Hey, we're going to take a little break here and talk about interstate batteries. Now, if you're like me, enjoying the great outdoors, you need gear that is as reliable as it gets. That's why I power my adventures with interstate batteries. I use interstate batteries in my boats. I use interstate batteries in my camper. Great for your truck, too. From Alaska to Montana. They're outrageously dependable. Battery is essential. With over 150,000 dealer locations, finding one is easy. For all your vehicles, land or sea, choose Interstate. Head to interstatebatteries.com and find your power today. Sport Dog is the most recognized brand in the hunting dog training industry. The Sport Dog promise to customers is simple. Gear the way you design it. Every product Sport Dog builds is meticulously designed and rigorously tested in the field, ensuring it withstands the toughest conditions you and your dog may encounter. Using tracking equipment on my squirrel and coon dogs is extremely important to me. Get 20% off your first purchase using the code BEARGREASE. Go to www.sportdog.com slash BEARGREASE to learn more. <laughs> 